0: Welcome, everyone. And uh, this evening we'll start the retreat with the um, offering our respects to the Triple Gem, which we do by chanting and uh, the act of puja, which is both is both uh, vocal and also our bodies, so it's bowing a sense of offering respect to the Triple Gem. And uh, this is always uh, a skillful deepening practice, a sense of really opening oneself out with an attitude of respect, so the mind is much more available for taking what it hasn't known Uh, So this sense of humility and modesty is to be encouraged, so that we really sense I want to learn something and I'm open and available. So it's both, you know, these ideas, these uh, uh, conventions that we use, which often we don't quite understand, but we say, okay, well, I'm, I'm here to learn. Um, you know, I'll go along with it and I'll open up to that. And then very much um, deepening in this reflection around the nature of the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha uh, and uh, really, you know, in the sense as you as you begin to get some sense of what the teaching and the transmission is about, you really begin to feel a sense of deep awe and respect, and uh, you know, the mind's very open because we realise this is talking about things that are deep, very deep, and as you get some touch, you. You know, and this person seems to have realized so much of this uh, and uh, one feels both reverence for the person but also much more important than that one feels very open and prepared to relinquish and check one's habits to receive more deep and pertinent uh, teachings so the Buddha, the teachings and also the Sangha which represents this ongoing transmission of people mm. who have you know, struggled, and worked, and uh, you know, sometimes sacrificed, and uh, been patient, and persevered, in order to realize what the Buddha was talking about, to a greater or lesser degree, and also to be a living human force that helps to keep this um, Dhamma not just as a set of ideas, but as, as living human practice, that we can feel friendship and and uh, we can feel we belong to. And these are very important uh, realizations, because um, if you don't belong to the sun, what do you belong to? <laughs> you know, you look at it, <laughs> how good is it? <laughs> So you may think, Sangha means monks and nuns. Well, yeah, sometimes it does, but it also means the, the Sangha of those who, literally those who practice well, supatipano. Uh, and so you think, well, I try. Okay, you try, Whether well, you belong to this. <laughs> this is your tribe. Uh, and it gives one a sense of encouragement and companionship and human resolve because we don't have to be perfect before we can really feel well we're at least part of the tribe you know we're 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 learners and we listen so sangha is called the sarvaka sangha means those who listen deeply and intently Uh, and so one thing well do you do that if you do then uh, then you're part of the family and there's a sense of uh, uh, you know you begin to uh, a of solidarity that can occur with that mm. so we'll talk more about these as the retreat goes on because I'd really like to feel that even in the course of a few days that um, those of you this is t- t- fairly new feel, oh yeah this is something I can relate to and refer to in my life it gives me an orientation those of you who are more established you think it's just firm up my convictions and my confidence and uh, helps me to um, really re-establish what's important because we all tend to slide away if we're not uh, encouraged and well practised. Um, you know, and those of you who are feel very well uh, practised then well I'll do this so that others will get the encouragement. <laughs> so there's always a rule to feel part of it, you either encourage others, or others encourage you, or you you see, oh well, you know, she's like me, she's suffering, she's struggling, but she's working with it. So this sense of uh, the noble Sangha in all its aspects, uh, something to really uh, remember, because as I said, if you don't belong to that, what do you belong to? Job? Nation? Where does that go? (laughs) So we'll begin with the the uh, chanting, and this evening I'll start actually with what's called the morning chanting because it's fairly brief, a little briefer. I realise some of you travelled a little bit, you know, disoriented and fatigued. So to make it something that's uh, uh, you know you can get hold of quite quickly. So this is really the first. Pages, I think it's page 8 through page 11, and we'll chant in the Pali language. Uh, and there's various, uh, these little triangles that you see on the words. It's pointing up; it means you, you lift your voice a uh, semitone. It's going down, you drop your voice a semitone, so it's kind of waves up and down a little bit. But mostly, the best way to chant is just to listen and open your mouth and just breathe out and see what happens. then you pick it up really, very directly, uh, and uh, you see the, when there's lines above the vowels, that means it's a long sound. Ah, there's no no line; it's a short sound. Uh, ah, uh, and the O's are always long. Or and the E's are always A, so this gives you some idea of how to get the vowel sounds, and the, those are the crucial sounds in um, in the Indian um, um, pronunciation system. The consonants just break up the flow of that breath. Up, up, up. So it's the flow of breath and the modulation of breath, which is the essential, um, could say even sacred quality of chanting according to this ancient tradition. We'll talk more about that later. That's many things. So first of all, we'll offer the make the offering. This is the offering of uh, uh, flowers, which is the um, purity, moral purity. So it's a lovely image. Uh, something that's fragrant and natural. It's not a law and order, but it's something beautiful arising from the earth. Yeah? So it often, often flowers. Uh, um. And incense represents the focus, concentrated quality of the mind. And the luminosity of the candles represents the light of wisdom. So these are things to... that's what we're really bringing up or trying to remember in ourselves we put that up there and we align it to this transmission and we we respect that in ourselves and that in others that is in this particular alignment of of the mind taking the eight precepts for the retreat. And uh, as with many features of these um, formal procedures, there's a sense in which uh, you know, one, one asks, one has not said, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, but please, I want to be trained, please help. I want to commit myself to these standards. And uh, then the teacher acts as the person who can confirm, affirm, and reiterate your commitment to this practice. Um, So have this attitude in mind, Um, request the eight precepts and and take the refuges. So these refuges are uh, our orientation you could say, and because most, you know, conventionally speaking, we are orientate really about ourselves uh, and personal attitudes and preferences and choices and what our bodies feel like and where we live, and uh, you know, and that's normal, obviously. And now we say, well, just, just shell, put that aside uh, as best I can, or at least put it in the background. I'm going to orient myself and centre myself around uh, taking refuge in awakening and the power of awakening uh, and refuge in the teaching and the uh, truth of the teaching, the veracity of the teaching, uh, dhamma, and then taking taking refuge in the sangha, the commitment to the practice, and uh, the um, human our human endeavour to cultivate, so these are in fact something we keep coming back to. Yeah. Because of course, you know, we normally come back to, oh, what I like? Do I like this? Do I not like this? What I want to do? Oh, this isn't... No, 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 just pause <laughs> on that reference point. That's, yeah, that's a reference point, but what is the Buddha saying? Uh, uh, what does the Dhamma lead you to? Mm. What does the Sangha do? Well, they do this. Okay. Follow that. <laughs> and it's something to, to at least to make an attempt with. And you'll find, uh, uh, yeah, I certainly myself found that uh, just cultivating like that, uh, and making those commitments has been tremendously helpful in just uh, beginning to rise up beyond what my personal, uh, my personality would choose or consider or steer itself to to something a little more uh, noble and uh, timeless and uh, of value. Mm -hmm. So we keep referring to that. Mm -hmm. This retreat is like really imagine it to be a no option retreat, no option time. (laughs) Normally in our daily life we have uh, choose this or that, Read this or this, or have something now, or have something then, or go here or go there. No, no, there's no, no choices, we, there's no option. What? <laughs> uh, sounds like punishment, but it means you sh- just, you can just, you don't have to do that with your mind. You know, your mind doesn't have to do this choosing and just, uh, it's a relief actually it. Yeah. Well, it won't kill me. <laughs> and it's a reasonable let-out, you know, like for health reasons, or you know, okay. But really, trying to look at that sense of, you know, uh, choosing, preferring. Mm-hmm. Listen, how, how peaceful would it would be not to have to have that happening. <laughs> Just to flow along. Yeah. And it takes a weight off the mind, takes an activity out of the mind and the mind is then free to deepen into experience you know? so certainly this is uh, in my own life, you know, I was just traveling around, freewheeling person in my twenties, you know, I came to a 15 minute meditation class, uh, so I didn't, uh, you know, that was the first time I realized just how crazy my mind was, I couldn't sustain attention on anything, just just, wow, uh, right, uh, I need some help here. Okay. <laughs> so I go, to the, I go to the monastery where I can't just do what my mind wants me to do, <laughs> and say okay, I'll, whatever, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, tell you, I'll do that. Yeah. You know. Okay, you can just, is a good deal, a place to stay, bring some food, these your rules, train do's and don'ts, eight precepts. Okay, try that, and when, you wanna, when you've want you had enough, you know, you can go. Okay, do that, you yeah, and uh, just, just, this is the attitude in these precepts, just something that acts as a, like a, a frame of reference, we'd say a container, where you can feel your mind bouncing around within that. Mm. And just, but just through not following it, the mind struggles, and then it begins to settle. And this is the sense of the, the discipline that um, we, you know, we're encouraging um, to to. Go beyond just the surface scattering of the mind's attention onto taste and colour and sight and smell and ideas and thoughts. and you know, go something that's more long-lasting, you know. Uh, it's it's not just bound up with circumstances. Uh, the only way we can really deepen is through that uh, self-discipline, and here. We acknowledge most of us generally need some support to sustain that because the pull of the mind is pretty strong. And That's humbly acknowledged. And, uh, yeah. So we undertake this retreat is to make an effort with friendliness. Is the is the exhortation? Sati kena sampadehi. It means you know apply yourself with a friendly comfortable, agreeable attitude, you know? Help yourself along, like you're training a child. Just come on, coax, encourage, try again, you know? It's not uh, something that you get immediate um, finger-snap results from, but just even applying that kind of supervision over your mind, that is the first uh, action, and that's the first result now at least I am taking responsibility and I am witnessing what, what's going on. That has a result in its own right because once you do that, you uh, don't trust this thing. <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't going anywhere useful and if you get that, you think, okay, you know, you've got to really uh, get hold of this monkey and, uh, and steer it in the right direction. Because an untrained mind there is no harm you cannot do with an untrained mind yeah. an untrained mind there's no evil that an untrained mind will not do and its it's truly horrific the things that uh, human minds uh, have uh, have uh, authorized and, and followed through we look around in our History of humanity: untrained mind is the worst thing that's ever been created, <laughs> and the trained mind is most beautiful. Uh, absolutely. So this is our choice and our understanding and our uh, encouragement. So taking the eight precepts commitment to a series of behaviours, or non-behaviours you could say. We are, uh, just by that act alone, we are taking a step out of circumstances. Um, it means rather than just follow what sight, sound, touch, thought does, as it happens, as it arises, say, no, no, this is doing this. I'm inclining this way. I'm training my attitudes and mind this way in stepping out of the circumstances that time and place presents for us Uh, the sensory world sight sound, touch and of course thought uh, which is probably for most of us the dominant sense organ and this is always bringing up particular phenomena, particular data associated with uh, time and place. What I want to do, what happened yesterday, what I think about her, my issues with this person that person, what people think of me, what I think of myself. (laughs) And this goes on and uh, this in fact becomes a major preoccupation for people just dealing with what their thinking minds and emotions are, are producing and presenting associated with events that happened in the past or the present or what they imagine in the future. Uh, dealing with their perceptions, their impressions of other people in the past, the present and the future. People they dislike, people they quarrel with, people they've hurt them, uh, people have let them down, people they love, people they miss, people they regret and so on. So this is just going on and it just keeps going on. <laughs> And there isn't really a, a place where it all, in the world of circumstances, is never a, a, a steady place. It's always something bumbling along, and it just goes on and then you die. <laughs> uh, and it can swing from good to bad, but it, it, you've really got to keep on top of it and manage it all, to swing it around from, you know, from, from bad or to manageable to acceptable, to occasionally agreeable, pleasant, and then, you know, try to keep hold of it. So it's really quite a uh, a lot of work managing the world of circumstances that arise. And these are normally associated with external phenomena, you know, what we see, what we warm, cold, sights, sounds, so on, but probably more predominantly with internal phenomena my moods, my energies, my health, my concerns, my business, my work, my money, my partner, my relationships, and my age, all these are things that just keep, you know, mixtures of these, uh, keep, you know, touching the heart and causing this rippling of emotion and uh, sometimes anxiety and despond, and craving. This is this circumstantial flood that washes over us, you know? And, uh, you know, there's that. And mine doesn't like Tries to find a, a steady place in that, and there isn't one. Is there? And you know, you think this maybe as a lay person isn't there? there isn't one as a monk, there isn't one. It's the same. It's a different realm, it's at least moral, but still there's always this man. And problems and issues and he wants this and this is happening and that's tomorrow and we've got to plan that for next year and this it's okay, but it just keeps going. It doesn't arrive at a a place where everything's finished and settled. <laughs> it just goes on. And then you die. <laughs> what was all that about? <laughs> and we may try to, to you know, conjure up some heavenly place where we could get it all so sanctified and purified, no trouble by anything. Please, fall calm. Nobody bothers me. And yeah, you, well, please, could you indicate where that is? <laughs> Health is fine, Everything's great, you know, you, you, could you show me where, I haven't found anybody who knows where that is. <laughs> uh, but, so this movement, stepping out back from circumstances, it doesn't mean there aren't any, but we just allow that flow, like a river, to be washing past our door. Now instead of being in the river, you're standing in your doorway, or sitting on the bank washing this river, Flooding past with ripples and bubbles and turbulence and then creatures and rubbish floating in it, there's that, Mm -hmm. but where am I? This is possible, this is possible, this is necessary to get some perspective on this flood of circumstances. And so when we make commitment, then in a way we say, okay, you know, I'll do this whether I like it or don't like it. Whether I agree or disagree with it, it's okay, you know? And we make commitment to the precepts, also to the routines. I mean, oh, well, it's a bit early in the morning, isn't it? You know, you know, early in the morning, a bit late in the night, and this is a, a struggle, and I feel like I take a nap, and I feel so good. And, a bit peckish, you know, I like to eat something now, and it won't kill you, will it? No, probably not. <laughs> and you just, let just do it. And once the mind learns that, once you establish that, the mind kind of, oh, oh. The mind recognises that somebody else is here, you know, the, the tamer is here, oh can't get away with it, you know, <laughs> and over time eventually the mind will okay, go along. And uh, so it is, um, it is very, um, uh, it has an effect certainly in my own life, you know, I was 25 years old, always following every impulse. That's what you're supposed to do when you're 25. And enjoy yourself, follow all the impulses, follow, have a free, a free person. Go out, do this, do that, explore, have fun, learn this and the other. And, and the, where's this going? Where's it going? Where did it come from? You know, where does the river come from? Where does it go to? I don't know. You're in it. And you're just caught up in the stream of it all. Swimming, gasping, floating, splashing around. Where did it come from? Where does it go to? I don't know. Well, what about this then? It goes towards... <laughs> It doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> it just goes on. Where does it come from? Craving. It from desire. Craving. That's not wrong, that's not evil, it's just being honest. Well, it's not evil in itself, it's just that's the nature of it. And so, uh, I wanna sort of step out of that. That's a desire too, the wish to step out, yeah. to put motivation into it. And then as you cultivate like that, then you're able to see more clearly what the river is made of. And when you're splashing and swimming and jumping around and struggling in it, you see more clearly what, it's, what that river is about when she's stepped out of it. It doesn't mean there isn't one. But you understand it more clearly when you've got a perspective on it. And think, well, I could follow that or that or that. Or maybe... You know, maybe I don't... Do I need to follow any of it? And, you know, what, because you've got a choice. Give yourself a choice. But uh, the most important thing is you've established a supervisor. And interestingly enough, when the mind recognises that, it begins to, uh-oh, no, it's not going to give way. I'll push, I'll shove, I'll complain, I'll struggle, I'll fight, but it's not going to give up. Oh well, it settles down, and it even happens in your body, you know, so certainly when I to cultivate this way, then, you know, in the evenings, Belly would regularly scream. Oh, dying, and dying, feeding food, Belly hungry, hungry. <laughs> Listen to it scream. This is silly. Why, what's wrong with eating in the evening? I don't see this is immoral. This is you Don't be religious. Really, starve yourself. One day. Why was this wrong? Belly screaming. But we're not going to have any. They're not giving me any. They're not going to give you any. <laughs> you scream or night. they not, not going to give you any. So get over it. <laughs> and after a while the daddy just said, okay, shut up. <laughs> and it doesn't do it anymore. <laughs> it, it knows. Some, it knows what it is not going to get, It knows somebody's in charge of it. And it's, it's not going to, So it just shuts up. And you know, okay. i feel a bit hungry, but I don't want. Better than, better, lot, better than a lot of feelings actually it's, to me, it's better to feel a little bit hungry than to feel too full because the mind is at least sharp and alert you feel a little bit hungry feel too full you feel heavy and dull and you know. okay, get used to it, takes a while, get used to it but you do get used to it, this is nice this is, this is, this is good, this is Simple. Simple. Yeah. Simple. yeah. I don't have to think about it. Great. Getting up early, you know, five thirty, we were starting at five. When I was a lay person go to bed at three. <laughs> Getting out at five was just not, not on the agenda at all get you up know, about eight, nine or something, you know, struggle often. You know, I you know, don't feel good. Well, you can do it. You get up fresh. It's quiet. Fresh. And you learn how to deliberately bring energy into your body and mind by correct posture, by using your, your backbone to hold your body upright by opening your chest, dropping your shoulders, letting your breath come in full and deep, mm-hmm. keeping the eyes open, really taking long, full, sustained inhalations and exhalations and mm-hmm. opening the body up, there's a quiet energy that comes through, you direct your mind with a sense of aspiration, it keeps the mind, lifts up. You can sit here and grumble, or you could sit here and reconsider the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha. You could sit here and moan about it, or want to go to bed. Or you could sit here and bring your mind up to what's truthful or virtuous. Which would you prefer? <laughs> well, I think you'd better do that. Because you're do it anyway. okay? And say, yeah, this is better. I can do it. I can do it. And if I didn't do it, what would I be doing? Dreaming, dreaming, dreaming daydreaming, thinking about food, thinking about work, thinking about this, about the other. Back in the river again. <laughs> so let's pull out. And these are very, you know, humble, pragmatic practices. They're not refined, esoteric pieces of dogma. They're just real... Hands-on steering. And you think, you know, that's great because it's not it's not difficult to understand. It's just sometimes a little bit difficult to do. But then, when you have a group and a form and a situation, okay, we hold each other up by our group effort and practice, and you know you can do it. And you have a sense of Self-respect, and your mind begins to drop its obsessions and uh, fascinations, and uh, you know distracted thinking. And a trained, tamed mind. The tamed mind is a joy. It's clean. It's clear. And it starts to, like a tamed elephant, it's got power to it. Wild elephant destructive, tamed elephant. You can go good places with it. So This is the thing to remember. If you don't train it, what do you think is going to happen to it? When you train these creatures, you have to be gentle but persistent. And then it will gradually come to heal. And you'll benefit from it. (coughs) So we make an effort. It's a... an effort that we consider not really so as I impress other people or to so other people are impressed by me, but because this is for my welfare and my self-respect and my sense of uh, direction and uh, so we have that sense of not just here to blindly conform but to uh, honestly a step beyond our normal personal, uh, Circumstances and moods, and then we get perspective on them. And this is the only way you can really understand uh, your yourself, your, your, what, what, what's living with you, your mental habits, by standing back from them. <coughs> now, in this Dhamma uh, and discipline, we often use the. Uh, It's very earthed, it's very grounded, it's not a matter of purely thinking and we use the body as a reference point uh, because the body doesn't proliferate, it doesn't think about the future, it doesn't, it's just where it is, it doesn't decide this and that, it's just where it is, it uh, has no particular fantasies, it's got no particular obsessions, It's it's just where it is. And it gives us a place that we can refer to or something we can refer to that helps to lift our attention away from the bubbling of the mind and the seething of the mind and the whispering and the voices of the mind. There's a piece of ground here. Uh, And that's our first understanding of the value of mindfulness of the body, mindfulness rooted, established, grounded in the body. It gives us a reference point and uh, it also gives us a a certain energy. We know what mental energy is about, it's associated with uh, desire, fear, interest, um, anxiety, uh, what we want, what we don't want, it's associated with these tendencies. Body energy is associated with being alive, uh, keeping life force flowing through the body, uh, providing this life force is associated with breathing in and breathing out. So it has no, you know, it's not complicated and uh, it stands with us you know, until the day you die. You'll be trying to you know, support you <laughs> to bring you some some energy, and uh, and that energy will always be um, cycling. As breathing in brings energy in, breathing out cleans out. Breathing in rises up, brings your energy in. Breathing out discharges, cleans out, relaxes, releases things. This is self, is a tremendously helpful. Um, process to give, attend to, to, to feel what's happening, because it happens by itself, yeah. it's involuntary, bodies do it, yeah. everybody does it, yeah. so it's impersonal, and it's, at the same time it's very intimate, it's happening right in within your experience, and it's direct, it's a very important. Um, attributes to, uh, to consider there's no theory about breathing <laughs> you can create a theory about it but it happened before theories began uh, and so it takes you out of this views, opinions uh, and uh, viewpoints here it is and it's giving you life giving you vitality not just life as in terms of years but vitality in terms of right now where else does that come from? that's given by, it's a gift so we make much of this in meditation practice and it seems to have been the Buddha's favorite um, theme for uh, meditation, mindfulness of breathing. Um, Mindfulness of body, he said, is um, necessary. He says, there's no way you can realize the deathless nibbana without mindfulness of body. (coughs) So when we take up, uh, of course, we can sit, stand, walk, lie down. Simple things we do with our bodies have slightly different qualities of energy that happen in those postures, those forms. And it's it's very often uh, associated with meditation. Is the sitting posture? This is actually only one of four, but this is the one that you know we we do because everybody can do it together, (laughs) you know, in the same place, and um, it gives it has a great. groundedness in it because to cultivate a sitting position you have to really uh, establish a firm basis the lower body, the legs, the pelvis and the lower spine Now whether you are fortunate enough to have the knees or really the legs that will allow you to sit in one of these uh, cross-legged positions lotus postures or if you can't then you're sitting on a chair but really like sit with the base of your body so if you're sitting on a chair really plant yourself there spread your legs a little so you have this triangle Maybe the triangle is a very stable um stable form it's not like a pinpoint it's it's got a stability to it and then as we as we come into this experience okay uh, you feel it you really Give it attention uh, not thinking but feeling it the nature of direct experience which is the the, the, uh, ne- the realm the mode of experience which will give us liberation direct experience is always felt indirect experience is conceived or thought or imagined but direct experience is always felt So feeling, contact, sensation and the quality of agreeable or disagreeable all this we come into, we call it Vediyati directly felt and as we uh, come into that there are two questions we ask uh, and bear in mind is how does this get more stable would help his body to feel more stable? First question, second question, how do you get to feel, once there is stability, how do you get to feel more comfortable? And these are not questions that have conceptual answers. Yeah. Stable means ideally as little you know, uh, movement as possible. Why move? Because one's not comfortable. Okay, how do you get comfortable? How does the body, well, it, ideally, if it's least, if the, the body is correctly aligned so that all the weight of his bones and, uh, descends into the earth, then the muscles can relax. Uh, so this is the aim of the sitting posture. Now, if we have this firm basis, then the theme is, can you, use using your spine, like a, like a balancing like a stick or actually more like a flexible uh, column to adjust it so that the shoulders and this heavy mass of bone the cranium is balanced above the pel- of this pelvic floor you can imagine that whole triangle with the base of the body is like a, a base of a like base of this microphone stand you know like that and then Okay, now we sense that if you come into the region of your back uh, between your pelvis and your ribs, of course it's the lower region or the lumbar region, that's the bit that's got some flexion in it. You can flex it
1: mm-hmm.
0: and if you deliberately do that you can push it forward mm-hmm. and you can make it into a bow where it curves convex. So you feel that and your shoulders come over, or you can make it into an arc, the other direction, an arch, where your abdomen comes over. So you can push it in or pull it back. And the recommendation is to, to not go into the bow because this will bring your shoulders over and it crushes your breathing and causes stress in the body. So you want to have it so that your lower back is slightly arched inwards so that the weight of the chest the ribs are now carried down through the spine into the floor and also the abdomen feels open it's because the chest isn't resting on it with this means your breathing is going to be have a much deeper and wider and fuller receptacle namely your belly uh, your shoulders uh, in this particular position will tend to uh, come out of a hump which you've crushed over means your chest opens up, chest opens up another area for the breathing to move through. So breathing starts in the abdomen, moves up into the chest. This is what it does, you know, well, figuratively speaking. These two areas of the body really are the regulators of the breathing. It starts in the belly, belly swells up, as it expands, then there's a signal, the muscles in the chest start to open up and the chest opens up. That's in breathing and in reverse the chest subsides and the abdomen subsides and breathing goes out. Now that can only happen if this torso is both supported so it's not having to carry weight. muscles in your chest, your shoulders are not carrying weight so it's, it feels supported. Ah. So it's open. And it's also able to be flexible. It's not stiff and rigid. And then this proper transmission of breathing can occur in a way that is pretty much free from any effort. It just doesn't.
1: And then the quality,
0: both of the external posture, which gives you stability and uh, also uh, some some relaxation because you're you're not fidgeting, you're not twisted, is is met by the quality of the breathing, full deep breathing, uh, unforced, is relaxing calming and refreshing. And then giving your attention to those themes, stable, comfortable, and involuntary, not something I have to do, something I can give attention to, it happens by itself. As we know, many many of us, many people carry a lot of tension in the body whereby the body is in some ways di- uh, disabled by tension. It doesn't feel flexible, it doesn't feel supple, it feels stiff and tight. Uh, and there are very good reasons for that, namely associated with uh, psychological, physical, emotional stress and pressure. So <laughs> and it's as if the body has become uh, stupefied and lost its, lost its true nature. Uh, and so, I mean, so we need to encourage. No pressure, no stress, safe. And if parts of your body don't seem to relax, find the part that does relax. Somewhere in there, there is breathing out that can be directly felt. When you breathe out, that is always breathing out. It always has a quality of relaxing in it. It's associated with releasing and letting go. So anyway you can feel this sign, this (coughs) sense of breathing out naturally. Could be in your throat, your chest, or your belly, somewhere. However long that is, give attention to that. steering attention steering attention so a mental effort is just to keep steering our attention into this uh, aspect of experience sign of relaxing internally relaxing relaxing the mental pressure to get it right or to be always mindful or to get concentrated or to Feel bright, relaxing the mental pressure to feel something that you're not feeling, relaxing the pressure to feel happy, and so forth. There is breathing out. Miserable people breathe out just as good as happy people. We get so it allows those emotions to be felt but not followed. So we use the physical posture to help um, maintain awakeness while this is happening. Otherwise we relax, we just fall asleep or fall over. So using that firmness through the lower spine, holding the chest open, bringing the head back. Uh, Keep your eyes open if you're feeling sleepy. All this helps to sustain a certain Alertness and relaxing, relaxing the mind, brightening the body. The energies feel very unstable, it's good to um, lengthen the pauses between the out-breath and the in-breath and the in-breath and the out-breath, so it's as if when you breathe out, you, know, you almost imagine you're not going to breathe in, you wait until it becomes strongly felt. breathing in more slowly, so you give a chance for the breath to completely expand the abdomen and the chest before it comes up into your nose, into your head, so you use the in-breath to refresh the entire body, take your time with it, get to the end of the in-breath, linger, just give it a few moments to stay there, that somewhat expanded state until you feel something really starts to pull to release the breath. Just extending it just a little helps to um, lengthen and strengthen the energy of the breath and the body is So coming to the end of this uh, initial um, initiation, initial process of the retreat, if I strike the bell, just let your eyes, your mind open to the situation. opportunity to uh, bring up uh, uh, a wish of well-being for your fellow uh, retreat people your practitioners we're going to be living together for about a week so a sense of acknowledgement and wish for each other's welfare and uh, recognizing we want to train ourselves to move around in a way that it doesn't disturb others, if other people disturb us. Then we try to just relax about it. So finding a way to live in harmony, in mind of goodwill and tolerance and uh, sensitivity. This alone is very important. Double practice. So we'll continue. Uh, tomorrow and um, begin here at uh, five thirty with our morning puja, which will be
1: uh,
0: using the same chanting that we did this evening. The opening homage, first few pages of the chanting book. So now we'll close with what's called the closing homage. To find on page sixteen. And similarly, we address the, the shrine, the altar, when we uh, sign, you know, conclude with a recollection uh, of the uh, nature of the occasion. Uh.